Hi, I'm Irene Yanku, and this is my podcast. I have spent my entire career in dentistry learning. Learning about new technology, techniques to better my clinical skills, and now I'm a practice owner and leader. In life as a learner, I've noticed my truest love for learning has not been about teeth or what material is best to use for a core buildup. It's been learning about people in our dental community. The educators, scientists, clinicians, business owners, and advocates, their stories, their lives, their why, and their what's next. Getting to know them as humans, identifying how they work, what their rituals are, while highlighting them as the true trailblazers in dentistry. And that's what I do here on the show. So hold on to your suction. It's about to get slippery here on the Tooth or Dare podcast. Welcome back, peeps, to another episode of the Tooth or Dare podcast with your peep, Irene. Hello. If you're watching this on YouTube, nice to see you again. If you're listening to this on your way to work or in the car or wherever you may be, hi. Uh, this episode was recorded live at a trade show. We were at the Designs for Vision booth um, at the Chicago Midwinter Conference, and I got to interview a really amazing human. Her name is Karen Davis. I'm sure you've heard her name or seen her photo published many times. She's been on multiple podcasts. She's taken the stage many different times as well. And um, she was recognized recently as Dentistry's Today's uh, Leader in Continuing Education. She received an award actually just after I had interviewed her and I had no idea. I was so out of the loop. I got to sit down with her and talk about her lecture, but what unfolded throughout the chat was pretty remarkable. Um, I don't want to give it all away. Uh, sadly, Karen had lost her husband the year before and battled with um, quite a bit. So I, I'll, I'll leave you to, to listen to that episode. And I mean, in this episode, we talk about it. Um, She's a really remarkable human. She talked a lot about her struggles and then how she learned from her hardships with her husband. I'm trying really hard not to cry. I mean, it's, I think I we both were crying uh, throughout the episode. So the more I talk about it, the more I think about these moments that we had sitting side by side with one another and what she had shared, her reserva reservations with sharing some of the information that she did, but also what she wanted to do with sharing this message to other dental hygienists. And um, there are a couple of parts to this interview. So in the first one, you'll hear all about her um, and her history with dental hygiene. So I, I thank you, Karen, for sharing this information with us, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, thank you to Designs for Vision for sponsoring this episode and for having us at your booth. It was really amazing. Please check out the description below. Designs for Vision is doing a 45-day trial of any pair of loops. I highly encourage you to try their ergonomic loops, which I'm absolutely obsessed with, um, and read the information in the description below to, to get more information on how you can take advantage of a free, no-cost trial of trying these loops on. So thank you, and I'll catch you guys next time. Peace out, peeps. We're back with Karen Davis, part two, talking about your speaking topic here. Um, the topic title was really interesting, so skimming through the registration pamphlet booklet thing. 
And I was like, only someone really awesome would have the word lemonade in their title. <laughs> so the title of your presentation is Making Lemonade with Lemons. And it's talking about the stressors that we go through in our everyday lives. It is. Like, talk me through those, like, learning objectives. And if anyone's interested in having Karen speak on this topic, I'm sure she'd love to. So tell me a little bit about the LOs and, and then, you know, what made you create this topic? What did you... Yeah, I wasn't in attendance, so I'm sad that I wasn't able to be in attendance. But tell me about it. Okay. Um, it's going to be emotional. Okay. Do that's you wanna, okay. I can hold your hand. Are you okay? I'm okay. okay. It's just emotional because it's from my heart. So in July of 2021, I'm speaking at RDH Under One Roof. Okay. And I'm doing the closing, and I'm on the stage. And I'm looking out at the audience and I'm thinking, these are in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, some in their 50s. I'm up here on the stage at 63. I need an exit plan. I'm literally thinking this while I'm speaking. Oh, I Isn't that, that funny? I do that too. I know, I know. So I come home and I tell my husband, I said, David, I, I need to figure this out. I, I don't want to do this forever. I want us to have quality time together. We bought a boat during COVID. Okay. We named it Bonus Days. Okay. And I just wanted to spend more bonus days on my boat with my husband and just do life together. Okay. So I told Ted Boris I was going Who's to. Ted Boris? He is the scientific director at the Chicago Midwinter okay. meeting for the Chicago Midwinter meeting with Chicago Dental Society. He's been in that position for nine years. He's retiring right now. We just okay. had his going away party. But I told Ted Boris when I knew I was speaking here that I was going to plan a big celebration, a big party. This was going to be my exit. I wanted to just retire from speaking and do other things and mostly be with family. Okay. Good plan. Okay. And the reason that was so important. Wait, did that happen? Did you do that? No. Oh, okay. We're getting to no. it. Okay. No. The reason that was so important is because my husband, David, passed recently in November and he passed from pancreatic neuroendocrine cancer. Yeah. And we'd known for 14 years that he had it. And oh, wow. we just packed a lot of life into 14 years. Wow. Oof. And yet I knew in September of 2021 when I decided on this topic that we have endured a lot of lemons mm. through his journey. We've had them raining from the sky at times. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought, I want to give back if I'm going out, if I'm going to stop speaking, I want to give back to colleagues because I know everybody has adversity, everybody has hard. And the pandemic in and of itself was really hard on dentistry and mm -hmm. still has some fallout from that. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to create a topic. So I told Ted, I want to create a topic about making lemonade out of the lemons of life. Is that okay? He said, absolutely. Hmm. So he gave me a, a platform, an opportunity to create this topic that I had no idea would be wow. so authentic. Yeah. So I started the topic idea. And then in April of 22, everything changed with David's health. It began a downhill slide. So from April to when he passed in November were some of the hardest lemons we have ever dealt with. Wow. And so I really did not start working on filling in the blanks of this content until two weeks before he passed. <laughs> no, a little bit before that, but not a lot. Yeah. 
And it's been the hardest course I've ever created, and it's been the most meaningful course I've ever created because David Sandland taught me lemonade making 101 literally from day one of his diagnosis. He just refused to let it interfere with life. He celebrated life every day. He knew how to impart hope to everyone he met. If you're standing next to him on an elevator, he's going to say to you, hey, would you like to hear a story that <laughs> happens to be true? Wow. That's a miracle. Because he looked at his life as being a miracle. You don't survive pancreatic Ooh. neuroendocrine cancer for 14 years. And he survived it with a five-organ transplant. What? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. This man. How? Where? That he was a walking miracle. He, he really was. was. A total walking miracle. And I got wow. to walk beside him for 14 years of this journey. And I learned so much from him about how to navigate hard. And you just, you never give up. Yeah. And when doctors told him in 2012, we've done everything that's available. There's no, no other options. I mean, that's, that's hard news to hear. And, um, then the doctor came back and said, well, there's a possibility that he might qualify for this transplant that this doctor in Miami has done a few times on pancreatic neuroendocrine patients. You might check that out. You know, we both said, who would do that? Who would transplant your abdominal organs? Well. Well, when you have no other choices. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Raise your hand. Yeah. So well. we decided in... September of 2012, after they told us that, um, that we'll do everything we can to pursue that. It took a long time to get approval from insurance, to go through all the testing. There's huge amounts of tests that you have to pass to qualify as a multi-organ transplant patient. And how how difficult, like, was, was he flying colors past or was he like no he did he yeah. did yeah he he actually did it was it's truly an answer to prayer that a he qualified and b that he found a perfect match donor so in july of 2013 he had passed all of the testing we were on our way to miami but you think about this for a minute we're both from dallas our family's in dallas yeah we pack up our car we say goodbye to pets we say goodbye to family not knowing not what the knowing. outcome of that would be we really had no idea but we knew that we were swinging for the fences wow that's all we could do so we drive to miami we move in with my brother and sister-in-law who happened to have a beautiful home in miami okay so we just move in with them and we're there for one month yeah. And we're on the golf course doing life. You just live what was that recovery every like? moment with intention yeah. when you're at this place. So we get a phone call. They've got a perfect donor. Yeah. He goes in, 10-hour surgery. Wow. He comes out. He's got brand new liver, stomach, pancreas, small intestine, large intestine. That's crazy. Perfect That's like match. all of the insides yeah. in one. It's kind of like an engine change. Yeah. Just take out the old engine. You put in the new engine. And then what? And then he just recovered. I mean, he beat the statistics of the fastest recovery after a multivisceral organ transplant. Why do you think that he did that? Attitude from day one made all the difference in his recovery. His nurses told him later, said, oh, we knew you were going to sail through this because your attitude was just incredible. Wow. So two weeks later, he walked out with brand new organs, 
started his recovery. We stayed there in Miami for the next several months while he completely recovered. Yeah. And moved back to Dallas, and we resumed life. I don't, I'm speechless. It's called the gift of life. For anybody that has ever considered being an organ donor, don't wait. Register, sign up. The gift of life truly gave us a Do you know anything about the owner? Like the donor? We know very little. Yeah. We attempted to reach out to them. David really wanted to. How do you ever. How do you you repay someone? Thank a family for that gift. We know that it was an 18 year old (gasps) that passed in the state of Arkansas from a head injury. That's all we know. That's it. David did reach out, and the families always have the option to respond or not, and we never heard back from them. Yeah. But we just could never ever thank that family enough i mean i can't imagine losing an 18 year old suddenly yeah I can't yeah maybe they'll reach out eventually maybe you never so. know yeah but david's quality of living was phenomenal yeah so we get more bonus days bonus months bonus years until april of 22 when his health changed yeah and what happened it's a tragic story i'll jared um Cancer was growing in his liver. Um, cancer did recur. And they told us from day one, you know, we can't tell you that the cancer won't come back, but we can be watching for it. Right. So two years after the transplant, they did notice a lesion back on his liver again. So obviously this there is was a new liver. Yes, a new liver. There's a lymph node somewhere in somewhere. his body that still had cancer in it. Ugh. And that's why they said we can't guarantee you that it won't come back. Yeah. So it did come back. And? So we treated, and so, you know, um, we'd gone through treatments and treatments, and, okay, this is where I'm probably really going out on a limb, but I'm just going to tell you what I believe to be true. So David was really high risk as a transplant patient for the COVID virus, Mm. and yet there was very little data on, well, what happens to transplant patients that also have cancer if you add this virus to the mix? Right. Think about that. There's just not any data, okay? But we consulted with this transplant team, and what they knew early on with data is that if, as a transplant patient, you acquired this virus, there was a really high mortality rate. So they suggested and recommended strongly that David have the vaccine. Yeah. Keep telling so me. he does this third vaccine in August of 21. Yes, August of 21, third vaccine. His scans at that point with the treatment that we'd been doing showed that the cancer was stable. It had shrunk. It was not growing. It had been that way for over a year. After the third vaccine, three months later, another scan. Wow. It's grown by 30%. Wow. So you think it was the vaccine? I really do. I think it was a tipping point in how the vaccine changed the DNA. So did you tell your doctor, like the doctors, your premonition? Or did they notice this in anybody else? Well, here's the thing. As a researcher, what do you think I do? When we get that result back, I start pouring through the research. Is there any data that the vaccine could potentially change the expression of the cancer in the liver? Well, guess what? There was. Stop. No, there is. So whomever recommended it didn't do their due diligence? Or do you think it was just too early? No, I don't think that this would happen to everyone that has cancer and everyone that has a vaccine and even not everyone that has this type of cancer, I think there was a tipping point for David. Cancer expression is really 
very individualized. It's right. never one factor, never two factors. It's a convergence of factors. So it may have been the stress that he was under at that time, coupled with, I don't know, environmental things, exposures, who knows what all the perfect storm was. But I do think that the vaccine was the tipping point for him that changed the expression of cancer cells. Now, there there is data on that in liver cancer cells changing and growing after the vaccines, the mm. Pfizer vaccines. But you're going to have to really dig deep to find that research because it's not well publicized. Right. And, but at that time, I just wanted to know, how did how did this happen? And yeah. so, okay, I, I'm telling his doctors, I believe this is a component. It's probably not the only factor, but a component. But what do we do now? Yeah. And so we were on track for David to undergo a treatment in April to get the cancer back under control. Everything we do is like shrinking cancer, resetting the clock. And so he was on track to do that. And then his blood work right before the procedure came back and showed that his bilirubin was sky high, which it never had been. And so they said, oh, wow, we've got some blockage somewhere in the liver. So one of the tumors that was growing like wildfire after that vaccine had compressed one of the biliary ducts. Oh, and no. so David had to have a procedure to Believe open up the it. duct. Yeah, so it's like putting a stent in yeah. the liver, just like you put stents in the, heart. the arteries right. for the heart. Yes. So it was an outpatient procedure. He went in for that, but the surgeon was wise. David's immunosuppressed, high risk for infection. He said, yeah. let's keep him overnight, just keep him here and observe. And so we were settled into the hospital for the night. And the hospitalist comes along and says, what are you doing here? Hmm. You don't need to be here. Go home and sleep in your own bed. And I went, no. whoa, 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 yeah. wait. And so, you know, I throw up the objections, but I'm just the wife. Stop. I'm not the doctor. They send him home. A few hours later, David starts running a low-grade fever. And I know with <laughs> low-grade fevers and transplants, you go to the ER. That's just what you do. So we go to the ER, and I'm literally arguing with the ER doctor what constitutes a fever. David was at 100.2. He said unless it's 100.4, which is considered a fever, we won't admit him. What? My hair's on and fire. And he just had a surgery. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. they didn't even call his doctor? Mm -mm. Endocrinologist? Did he you have know, an endocrinologist? They, they did consult with the oncologist. oncologist. They did consult yeah. with the oncologist. And the oncologist basically says, how does he look? How does he present? Does he seem sick? Well, I know He's David. He's got a fever. Yeah, I know <laughs> David. And I knew he really was sick. But David's interesting. Anytime, he, even when he was sick, when doctors would come into his hospital room, they'd go, how are you doing? Great. Fine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I just had five organs replaced. I'm totally okay. Yeah, I'm great. Fine. Oh, no. So I knew he was not well, but he didn't look really sick. So at any rate, they send him home, and then five hours later, he's got 104, not 100.4, mm. 104 temperature. We go back to the ER. It, You know, it was just a really sh bad shit show at the ER. I don't know what else to say. It was just it was a horrible there? time to be there. No, different doctors. Um, we could not get David out of the ERQ and into a room to be treated appropriately until, are you ready for this, 13 hours later. <laughs> yeah. My hair's on fire. I am the wild woman running around the ER trying to take it up the chain of command to get him out of this queue in the ER bay and get him treated appropriately with this raging fever. And I'm telling you, it just, it was everything just was impossible that day but we did get him to a room he by then he had sepsis 
And so oh, everything so that fucked. happened to David. I just dropped the F word. I what know. time was it? 4.40. Beep. Yeah. Everything that happened to David starting in April. My hands are sweating. Literally, my hands are sweating. I know. It started with the sepsis. So he ended up being in the hospital for three months, not in Dallas. We actually did. David's so funny. He knew that his son was getting married. His only son is getting married in Charlotte, North Carolina, a week from when he was admitted to the hospital. So he says to every doctor that rolls into this this room, he goes, now, you know, I'm leaving on April the 8th because I'm flying to Charlotte to go to my son's wedding. And what did they say? Mm-hmm, yes, sure. No, he, he would just say, so you've got until the 8th to get me well enough to get on a plane and go to my son's wedding. And did it happen? They did. Oh, my goodness. They did. Well, they owed it to you. They owed you <laughs> they a <did>. lot. <laughs> David was well enough. We got on the plane. We flew to Charlotte. We met with our son and our, his beautiful bride the evening before. They had a glorious, great wedding. We danced at the wedding. And then by midnight of that night... That stent that they had put in David's liver had failed, and his liver is clogging up, and he's running a fever again. And so all I know is he's running a fever, and he's swelling. He's got a lot of fluid in his body. And so we, we got to go to the ER. So we go to the ER in Charlotte, mm-hmm. and we saw the best and the worst of health care in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Had some phenomenal doctors, some great care, and some gigantic missteps that almost cost him his life. Wow. So finally, his transplant team, were in communication with them the whole time. They said, you got to get out of Charlotte. You've got to get here to Miami. We need to treat him on site. So they care flight him to Miami. We are there with the team. He got there April the 30th, and he walked out of the hospital well in a wheelchair um, on June the 29th. Wow. Wow. And just because of all the attack of what happened to his body and the sepsis and every organ was affected, the cancer took full advantage of that weakened state to just explode. Yeah. And so really what happened is just everything we tried, even chemos that treat really high-grade neuroendocrine cancer, because by this time it had turned into something really horrible, high-grade, growing fast. Um, the chemo worked at first, but then it, it, the cancer just outpaced it. So wow. um, the good news, here's the good news. Oh, there's good news? Yes, okay. there's great news. Um, David Sandlin lived life so intentionally, and this is the reason I created this course and shared this message. He lived life so intentionally. He never, ever stopped being grateful for every day he was alive. I mean, one day when they moved him from the ICU to a regular room as they're wheeling him in, he says, this is the best day of my life. I said, what? He said, look, there's a window. There were no windows in the ICU. Oh, no. I mean, this is just... The smallest little thing. This is how he did life. So even when he's at home and we're bringing on hospice... And he's on IV nutrition because he can't eat and he feels miserable and he's nauseated. He is just Happy. He's giving everybody a smile. Stop it. Some of my dental hygienist friends came over. We got a picture of them. And as we're taking the picture, he goes, I'm the luckiest man on earth. Look at all these beautiful women. And oh, my God. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> It was three weeks before he passed. Oh, gosh. So the good news is David lived life intentionally. We have no regrets. 
He's a strong man of faith. He was ready to be healed either here on earth or somewhere else. I wish that I would have known that this was your topic, like that I that this story was. I'll give it again. Can you? I mean, you're giving it on this podcast. Give it again. But yeah, this I think I think there needs to be a in parentheses like the life of the last few years of Karen Davis. Like well, I feel like it needs to. It's we need to know that people need to know this story. Well, and here's here's my, the reason. Even before David's health changed, the reason I created this content over our journey of navigating cancer, we were thrown so many lemons, mm-hmm. so many things that were painful, difficult, heartbreaking to endure. And the truth of the matter is that's everyone's story. It may not be cancer, but everyone has brutal heartache, terrible, unexpected things that just knock the wind out of your sails. How do we navigate hard when it's just hitting us from all different directions? And I literally watched David navigate some of the hardest things ever with grace and with hope and humility and I just wanted to share with my colleagues that I love what I learned in a front seat yeah position with David all these years so I had a passion to create and share this content it just became a lot more authentic for me as I had to figure out how to make lemonade on my own hmm. What piece of advice would you give people that perhaps are entering a journey like yours? Maybe a loved one yeah. was recently diagnosed or yeah. they can foresee the future of mm-hmm. someone's health, perhaps by some of the choices that they make right now. Yeah. What, what would you say to someone like, how do you prepare for what could be the most devastating decade of your life? Yeah, that's a really important question. I think the best advice, given what I've gone through, would just be to be present, be in the moment, savor. (laughs) There's actually, believe it or not, there's a lot of science on the benefit of savoring. It's been Hmm. studied. There's a scale. What do you mean by savoring? Like, just like... If you're having a positive moment... Just like, keep it there for a while? Yes, let all distractions go by the wayside. You're just, I'm choosing to be in this moment... That example that I just gave you, David, you know, entering his hospital room, and it's the best day of his life because there's a window. He was savoring the fact that, wow, I can look out and see the sun. Hmm. I can see the trees. I can see the sky. I'm savoring this moment. This is great. Instead of, damn it, I'm still in the hospital. I feel like crap. I don't know if I'm going to survive this. I mean, do you see the perspective? Yes. Savoring actually changes your perspective. So the best advice I could give would really be two pieces. Go with what you know. Don't live in the land of what if. Mm. What if is a dead end street. It will suck the joy right out of your life. Mm. Live in the present. Savor today. Savor the moments. And especially if you're dealing with chronic illnesses that you really don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean, every one of us is living with a terminal disease. It's called death. Sure. (laughs) It happens to us all. We have a clock. Yes, we do. And I just think figuring out how to be present and savor the good things, what it does for us, it actually builds up a bank of resiliency for the next time hard things come along. 
And that's exactly what happened with David. He was building up a bank every day because he needed it. And he needed it again. He needed that hope. And he needed it again. He was giving right. himself hope. He absolutely you did. You were probably worrying about him like crazy. I was he's just like, well, she's eating her thumbs <laughs> over there. She's, she's gnawing on her own arm, yelling at people at the hospitals. Know, so I'm going to be know. the hopeful one while she's over there just setting fire to the place. I know. Wow. That I, is a really powerful message. Well, we were such a great team because I'm so action-driven yeah. that, you know, oh, we've got a problem. The cancer's growing. Oh, yeah. we need more treatment. So my role was just to figure out where are the experts. Who do we have to go to? The, you know, what does the science say? What do we need to do next? And so we were a great team together. Yeah. And I, we actually shared 21 years together. Only 14 of them had cancer in the background. And I am truly one of the most blessed people on the planet because I got to live a love story. Wow. And that's after two failed marriages on my part and three oh, failed wait, marriages be married on David's before? part. No way. <laughs> Stop it. He was man number three. And you were man number? You were woman number number four. four. But it's counting. <laughs> no one's counting. I love how you add that at the end. Oh. oh, well, then I have to share with you the thing that just cinched oh. um, my love for David Sandlin the very first day we met. And it was such a fun story how we met. But when we're having lunch together and we just decided to meet for appetizers because you really you never know how that's going to go. You don't want too much time. Yeah, you can't invest too much time in case it's right. a dud. Yeah. Right. So I just decided I had really nothing to lose. I'm a single mom, a single mom it's for seven years at this point, And I was kind of committed you were to busy. that. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I was kind of committed to that. Really wasn't looking for a new spouse here. And so I agree to meet him. We meet for appetizers and I just kind of, okay, well you should know that Madeline is not, Madeline's father's not my first failed marriage. I had another failed marriage before that. You're just he, putting it all yeah. on the mm-hmm. table. Yeah. Like he, let's get the baggage right. out mm-hmm. and display. Yes. Yes. I just thought I have nothing to lose. Yeah. Here. So that's great. First I think that's I married, a good approach. Yeah, first I married the drug addict who was the football player from high school. Okay. Okay. All right. Mary, I turns, didn't see that one mm-hmm. coming. Yeah, I turns didn't out see, to okay. be the drug addict. Okay. Okay. Then that marriage failed. Yeah. And so I'm single for a while. Then I marry Madeline's dad. Okay. And he turns out to be homosexual. Okay. So that marriage failed. And so. Obvious reasons. mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I just. Okay. Here it is. Yeah. And without even missing a beat, David Sandlin says to me, well, Karen, maybe you've seen a bumper sticker around Dallas that says honk if you've been married to David Sandlin. (laughs) (laughs) You made a joke out of it. I love that. (laughs) I love this guy. I wish I could have met him. Damn. I knew right then. One day I'll meet him. Cool. He's a keeper. Wow. Okay, well, that's the lecture. I've never heard a lecture like that before, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, it was an incredible opportunity yeah. to share that. I'm glad that, that you audience. were given that opportunity to share it with me the too. audience. Me too. Oh, and I hope that whoever's listening, I'm sure there are lots of people listening to this that are either experiencing it or have experienced. Or will. Or will. Yeah. I think we all will at some point with someone. Yes. That's the sad part. Love. Yes. It, yeah. I mean, most of us at some point in our lifetime will have to do that horrible goodbye to somebody that fills up our heart to overflowing. And that's exactly what David did to me. He filled up my heart I with overflowing. I don't know how you're not breaking out into tears. I'm I'm sucking it back so hard. My hands are perspiring and this never well, happens. Can I just give you full disclosure? Yesterday. You've said this, you said this on stage, so you probably cried on stage. Yeah. Did you? I did. At the very end? No, or at halfway? the very beginning. Oh. It just was really hard to, to get it going because my heart was just so full. But um, it's really interesting. After I spoke 
yesterday morning, gave my lemonade course, and then I did cannabis in the afternoon with Tom Viola. I'm coming down the long escalator at the end of the day, and I burst into tears, and I cannot control it. And I get in the cab, and I'm going back to my hotel room with my good friend, Trisha Suna, and I'm bawling, crying. And she says, are you okay? She said, you just held it in all day, didn't you? I said, yeah, I did. Yeah. So there's, there's just times when it just overtakes me, and I just have to be in that moment and that's okay yeah um it's okay to cry it absolutely is and I, even I just, if it's on an escalator at the biggest yeah. biggest conference yeah, in the united right. states yeah that's yeah, cool yeah, too right mm-hmm. wow okay so there's times when it overwhelms me and at times when i just am able to carry on but i am so grateful to you for giving me an opportunity to share this message because <sighs> i was not expecting well, so i i knew that you had lost your husband because i saw it on facebook right but you and i are not close i mean we're facebook friends right. but we're facebook right. friends with thousands of other Correct. people in our industry so it's like you don't want to be that person that it's like well I've never spoken to this person in my entire life and now all of a sudden I'm the most empathetic human in the world like that just shows that you're not you know it's like a weird thing sure agreed right you you probably saw that you were like I haven't spoken to this person since high school and they did five bad things to me and now all of a sudden they're my best friend so like but I saw that you had lost your husband and I think I shared my condolences in like the messages but you did. I didn't know that this lecture was about your husband and about the that journey and yeah. I I, oh, I want to you'll have to let me know I'll put it in the show notes if if there's ever a, a time where you'll be presenting it because I'd thank like you. to be present for that thank you yeah I will give it again I'm, yeah I'm certain okay great yeah. uh rapid fire questions about our profession about inspiring things that you can share with our listeners and one of the questions that I would really love to know and um is do you have a morning ritual now like you shared the story of how you became a speaker how you've taken the podium how you've endured 14 years of your your last 14 years of your life with a very sick and struggling but happy husband right um yeah he wasn't sick the whole 14 years so well he wasn't sick the whole time there were there were parts in between Yeah. yeah um what does a morning look like for you when you wake up in the morning? What do you, is there anything that you do? Oh, that's such an interesting, first, no one has ever asked me that question. So people do say I'm a good interviewer, so I'll take that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you. So immediately I'm thinking, well, do I tell the truth or yeah. Okay. Tell the truth. mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. My my morning routine is Carly Hay. What is is that? My little puppy. Okay. That sleeps in my bed. Okay. she comes and snuggles up with me oh. about 5 a.m. Okay. most mornings. Okay. Um, every now and then she'll just stay in her little curled up spot. But she's a morky, so okay. she's really furry and lovey. Most mornings she comes and curls up with me. And so we will just do a little petting and loving. And I sometimes go back to sleep, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an early riser. So usually by 6, I'm out of bed. And so I go do the whole brush your teeth and and I, I don't actually get to run around my house with my pajamas on because Carly Kay needs She's attention. She's going to go outside. Go, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I always, you know, brush my teeth, put on my clothes, 
do some lovey time with Carly K on the bed. Yeah. I do the Carly K baby talk yeah. voice and all of that stuff. The belly up in the oh, air. Yeah. I have a dog. Oh, yeah. His name is Lou. He's a poodle. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I know so this. You, you understand that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's cute when they go under the covers it's and then you play the, the like, best. where is he game? And then eventually <laughs> he comes up and it's like, oh, there he is. Yeah. All of yeah. that. Yes. That's yeah. every morning. You smell their paws because it smells like po- like popcorn. Yeah. Yep. Every yeah. morning. So okay. Carly K starts my day off. get joy in the yeah, morning. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And so we go outside and then I feed her. And while I'm feeding her, I'm fixing my coffee. I like my coffee really, really hot. So How do you take your coffee? Uh, I use an espresso. Okay. And so I like it strong and I like it hot. Blue? Which which of the tablet things do you like? Black. The black? Oh, okay. That is strong. That's a 10. <laughs> That's a 10. That's a 10. Okay. Yep. yep. I get it. I guess so, if you're Karen Davis, you need to get yep. your coffee at a 10. It's like yep. a jolt. Well, the best thing about living in Miami when David was undergoing his transplant, the best thing about Miami was Cuban coffee oh, everywhere yeah. you go. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So I got super addicted to Cortaditos. So when I came back, I amped it up to the tins okay. of the Nespresso. So okay. yeah, that's what I do now every morning. Okay. And I like froth on my coffee. So okay. I have a little frother. Frother. And I froth my coconut milk mixed with a little bit of oat milk mm-hmm. and froth it. And so Carly Kay and I go on our little walk with and I've got coffee. my coffee. Yep. And she does her business and then we come back. Do you listen to anything when you're walking nope. or just nope, silence? No, it's just, yeah, just, I love just the mornings yeah. that are quiet what do you think about and on peaceful. Your walk? Uh, do you think about stuff or try not to? No, I do. I usually, think, mm, it's funny that you asked that. I like, oh, I'm going to cry. <sighs> I like to start my day being thankful. So I just look up at the sky and I just talk to God and I just talk about the things I'm thankful for while I'm walking my dog. Because if I can start my day that way, it's going to be an okay day. Yeah. Every day. So that's my thankful time. And I talk to God about people that I'm concerned about, that I'm Mm. praying for, that are hurting. So, um, and then I'm yanking her back when she's trying to dig around in the grass and eat doo-doo. So, yeah. you know, there's a little, a little bit of back and forth. Yeah. No, 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 not you, God. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just right. telling her not to touch this shit. That's not you. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. No, Jesus. It wasn't, I was talking to the dog. <laughs> So, okay. my morning walk is a special time. Yeah. I, I, I used to listen to podcasts, but that's all gone by the wayside in my morning. My morning is really my just quiet, thankful time with yeah. Harley Kay now. And so this is just the two of us. And so then I come back and I will use this in the wintertime. I just curl up by the fireplace. Mm-hmm. I have a big hearth and a big cushy pillow there. Mm-hmm. And I sit up on my hearth and I refill my coffee. And I just, I read some inspirational things. Sometimes it's devotional. Sometimes it's just inspirational. But I just, I like my moments in the mornings when I start my day to just be gratefulness and thankfulness. Yeah. And quiet time for Karen. Yeah. Because once I kind of get rolling with whatever is on my agenda for the day, I don't stop. go back to quiet. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever read the 5 a.m. club? I have not. Okay. So Sounds interesting. Yeah. You should read the, You should read it. I mean, uh, I will the person now. that wrote it, last name is Sharma. And uh, basically that's what, that's what this book talks about is about, um, you know, rising first thing in the morning at five. Yeah. And then doing things for yourself for the first couple of hours, like yeah. removing yourself from technology, removing yourself from, you know, right. distractions that mm-hmm. aren't about you 
And if you can claim or reclaim your morning, then it sets the pace for the rest of the day. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The mornings that I have to hit the floor running for whatever reason, I have something going on that I have to tend to, those are tougher days. Yeah, yeah. So it really does energize me and sets things on the right foot if I could just have some quiet spiritual times, some prayer, some thankfulness. Yeah. And some good coffee. Sounds like a little meditation. Some great coffee. Some great coffee. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not great at meditation. David no. was really disciplined at it, mm. and I think it served him well. And that's still an area that Karen needs to gain some ground in. Yeah. It's okay. It's not there yet. Next question. That was one of them, actually, yeah. on my list was meditation. Yeah. Um, what kind of music do you listen to? Oh, recently at home, when I've been working on my lemonade program okay. that I gave here at Chicago. Did you listen to the Beyonce Lemonade album? No, I did not. <gasps> no. You should. From the beginning to the end. I will. Yeah. That's There's fun. a song called Lemonade. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Okay. Now I didn't Read realize that. Read the lyrics. Okay. I yeah. Will. Okay. But what do you listen to? What's your favorite so, thing? Oh, I just love a variety of music. But it's it's so funny. We bought this refrigerator, and it's a smart refrigerator. So <laughs> it has, uh-huh. mm-hmm. well, no, it has um, Pandora uh, oh, on the top of the, the refrigerator. Panel. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Wow. Right. So it's really funny. When my brother called me one time after we first got the refrigerator, I'm trying to talk to him on the phone. I said, oh, wait just a second, Scott. The refrigerator's too loud. He goes, what? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I got to turn it down. So it's the same song. It's a fancy and, refrigerator. It is. And so a lot of times if I'm in the kitchen and I'm going to sit down with a cup of coffee and work on something with my computer, I don't even go back to my office. I've just got my Samsung music yeah. going right there. I'm listening to Pandora. And lately I've been doing a lot of relaxing spa music, yeah. piano, mm-hmm. violin, just yep. really things that just help me be in a relaxed state so yeah. I can be productive. I love that. But when I'm not in I'm going to text you mode, the name of my favorite artist right now that is a classical trained artist his name is austin farewells and he's like he's amazing yeah he's really i'm gonna text you his name and you need to like pandora playlist him i think you will like him i will but i I love everything i love reggae music (laughs) i I do sometimes when i'm just in a funky mood i'll put on reggae what david loved to do you just this is hilarious. Yeah. He liked to put on kind of Celtic-type music and do a little Celtic jig. And I would catch him sometimes. Wait, like Celtic music? Like uh-huh. Irish jigs? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, yes. my God. I cute. would walk into the kitchen sometimes and just catch him doing his little jig because wow. he liked that music. So I like to listen to it now okay. and just remember those fun times. Okay. And I uh, also love flute music, guitar music. Interesting. I, I love a lot of instrumental. I like some uh, Christian music. Yeah. I listen to some of that. I, li- I don't like country western. I'm not. For a Texan, a, that's no, interesting. I'm not but a country you probably western grew, fan. Like in your small town, you probably listen to country all the time. I did. Yeah. I did. I had enough of that growing yeah. up, and it's just not my not genre. Nope. Okay. So, um, but anything else? Right. I, I like a variety of music. Cool. Okay. Yep. Two more questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you love most about yourself? Also, no one's ever asked me that question. <laughs> Nor have I really ever given it a moment's thought. Uh, so you're going to tell people, don't ever record with Irene. She's going to make you cry and make you think all at the same time. You're like, who is this Canadian? What is she doing? Oh, my gosh. What, what do, do I like the most, most about, about myself? It could be anything. You know. Take your time, too. I mean, we yeah. can edit dead space out. I want you to. Okay. Well, it's probably... The quality of resiliency. The fight in you? Yeah. Yeah. 
I've had to learn resiliency, but I had a great teacher. My mother is amazingly resilient. She's just turned 94, wow. is in phenomenal health, and is incredibly resilient. She was born in a family of 14 kids. Mm. So, and she's the only one left living. Wow. She's been 14. very resilient her okay. entire lifetime. My dad was very, very focused, resilient, loving. He died, he died at age 91. Wow. Yeah. So I think just understanding how to take whatever life brings your way mm -hmm. and just turn that into something positive. Yeah. Um, I was already doing that. I kind of had to learn the hard way to do that with some of my early failed marriages mm. and especially going through divorce. Divorce is one of the hardest things I've ever, ever endured with a child yeah. at stake. It's just incredibly painful. And so I teach in my course and I truly do believe this. We choose yeah. how we handle all of life. Hmm. It's a choice in how you handle it. Yeah. It's easier for me. I will be the first to admit I don't struggle with depression. I don't struggle with anxiety. I don't know how you don't, <laughs> well, to be honest you with know, you. I'm just grateful. Oh, my goodness. I am so grateful that those have never been my battles. Yeah. So probably being resilient may be a little easier for me than some other people. But I want to live with joy. I want to live intentionally. Mm. And I think to do that in the midst of some really hard things of life, uh, learning to be resilient has served me well, and mm. I'm so grateful. If you, if you had, so this is my last question. If you had like three minutes to talk to yourself at 30 right now, oh, if, you wow. could, if you could sit down and be like, listen, I only have three minutes to tell you all of these things. What would you tell yourself? Would you, would you tell yourself, so this is what the game plan's going to be? You can't change any of it. Nothing's going to change. You're just, you're just giving yourself a heads up. Would you tell yourself what's about to happen or would you just have a coffee with a stranger? I wouldn't share details. I don't think had I known what my journey would look like, it would have helped me any. Hmm. Because you really honestly don't know how... When people say, oh, I could never... I could never go through what you've gone through. Yes, you could. Yes, it's you could. It's going to happen anyways. If, if you're in it and you have either the choice to make it or be bitter and angry, yeah. you, you can. Yeah. And so I think I would only say to myself, you're going to face some things that will feel like you can't do it. Mm. But you can. Hmm. Thank you. And the grief process has felt many days like, I can't do it, but I am, hmm. and I will. Get those tears down. <laughs> you still have two interviews to do. <laughs> Where are those tissues? Oh, we don't have any. Are there any right. tissues around here? Jeez Louise. <laughs> have you ever, I've never felt, um, at a trade show, I've never felt like in a bubble before. Oh. Like this is the first time that I've ever felt like the room and people are spinning and walking around us. But like, yeah, I, don't I don't think even, I don't even notice. I don't even you. notice anyone around. <laughs> no. Usually, are there like, other people in the room? Like I'm sure people have walked by and like tried to wave <laughs> at us, you know. But like I've never felt like I've been in this bubble. So thank you for being in this bubble with me here. Um, I mean, thank you. I, I love what you do. Thank you. It's so authentic. Thank and you. It's so valuable. Thank you. Don't stop. Thank you. I'll try not to. 
even when it gets hard. <laughs> okay, everyone. Well, you know, you know what to do. All of the info is below. If there was any info that you need and I didn't put it below, you can always message me and Karen. I'll have all of your info and details below. If you Excellent. feel anything from this, share it with Karen because I'm sure she'd love to know. I so, would. Until next time. Peace out, peeps. <sighs> I'm sweating. Oh, hi. So you made it all the way to the end. Thank you for sticking around. And I hope you enjoyed this episode, found it informative, entertaining, and of course, as per usual, find me hilarious. If you liked what you heard, it would really mean a lot to me if you could show your support by liking, commenting, or sharing this episode with a friend or family member. Your feedback and engagement helped me get on the mic today, and it would also improve our future shows and reach more people who maybe could benefit from our content as well. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to my podcast on your favorite platform or on YouTube. Follow along on this crazy journey with me at toothlife.irene and at toothordare.podcast on Instagram and Twitter. That way you'll be the first to know when episodes are released and you won't miss a beat. I appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more great episodes in the future. From my team to yours, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>